Hey everyone, and welcome back to the All-Stars Journey. I'm your host, Matt Charles from Sliding Lodge Performance Horses, and this episode is part number two with Rob Lawson. I hope you enjoy it, because I had a lot of fun talking to him. This episode is brought to you by Equiday Botanical Horse Care. Equiday Botanical Horse Care specialise in horse care and grooming products formulated with some of nature's most effective and healing properties. Equiday naturally bring out the best in your horse. Yeah, so that first year um, in Italy was, was really cool. Um, <clears throat> um, Helmut Schultz put on the World Reigning Cup, I think it was called, in Switzerland, in Bern in Switzerland. So we, we went up to Switzerland and competed up there. Um, we had, um, oh, there was actually quite a few, quite a few Americans who were there, which was really cool. Um, that's um, when I met Vern Superger and um, his, his daughters. I never met Cody, but um, I met his daughters at, at that horse show. Um, and, um, but that's the week, week before that horse show, my dad died. So oh. I'd, um, I went home just before, well, actually, no, it was that, it was actually that horse show. I was at the, at the horse show when I got the message. I'd done the first go round and still had the second go, the second, the finals too. Um, but, um, yeah, I'd been home a couple of weeks before for a couple of days to see him, um, when he was in hospital. So, <clears throat> so that was, um. That was pretty full on to do that. Uh, that was a that was a, quite a fun show, even with the fact that my dad had just died. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but he would have been proud. He was proud. He, he said, "Get your ass back over there. Don't be don't be staying here too long. Get back <laughs> over there and get into it." So, um, so he was he was you know happy. I got to see him before he died, and then he then you know he would have been there going, "Come on, yeah, have a go." Um, so that was really cool. The the Derby, the, the Derby show was like amazing for me anyway, you know, <clears throat> it wasn't, you know, like going to the American Futurity, but it was a, it was a big show, especially f considering Australian standards or Australian size horse shows. Yeah. Um, you know, the Italian Futurities at that point were like 110, 120 runs. Wow. Um, and, you know, if you made the finals. So making the finals in Europe is actually something to put on your resume. Yeah. Because you've beaten, you know, maybe 60, 70 people to get there. Yeah. 60, 70 horse rider combinations to get there. You haven't, you know, it, it's it's something. Um, and making the finals at that first derby show, that was, that was really cool. And then... Um, I've got a funny story about Todd Summers, though. I'm sure Todd <laughs> won't mind me saying this. Um, so there's a couple of funny stories about that. That was the first time we ran Patton 10. Yeah, right. All the English speakers, that's when I met um, uh, Jim Kaiser, actually, first time I met Jim. So all the English speakers were up in the corner of the arena, sitting there, uh, watching the first go of the Derby. The first go was Patton 10. <clears throat> of course, every second horse rider combination came out and... 
<clears throat> ran two large fast right circles, one small slow right circle, lead change, and then straight into a fast yep. left circle. And then the crowd would yell out, Piccolo, Piccolo, and they were pulling me into a small slow and and um <laughs> and I would, you know, just make, make it through and they'd get a score and Todd was up there going <clears throat> Oh, if this was in America, they'd all get zeros. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Anyway, um, so the second day, because the, the first go went for two days. Yeah, wow. Uh, so the second day was um, Todd had drawn. Oh, I wish I could remember the horse. It was a nice little horse, though. Um, and, of course, he's, you know, he's, he's going for it now. Runs <laughs> in, stops, backs up. Four awesome right turns, four and a quarter awesome left turns. Yeah. Departs on his right circles. He's going for it, man. Like he's up there and he's chasing his horse around, comes back, slows down really nice slow down, comes down, pretty late change, and then Todd's out over the front of the horse and goes, <laughs> Go, we're off. And the whole crowd yelled out, Piccolo, Piccolo. And Todd's like, He's absolutely committed to his fast circle. He just sits back and drags his horse into the small slope. <laughs> it was funny. Yes. Anyway, so the other funny story was um, finals night. I'm heading off to the bathroom because, you know, as you do, when you're a bit nervous. <laughs> and Todd's coming from the other end of the showground. We're, we're aiming for the bathroom at the same time. And um, so we kind of meet up. We're walking together. And I say, oh, where are you off to, Todd? He goes, oh, I'm off to the bathroom. So no, me too. Funny story. Sorry, for this guys. And um, I said, Todd, it, why are you nervous? He goes, Yeah. Said, you've won the. Uh, you know, sorry, you've reserved. I think you've won the 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 futurity. You've been reserved for champ, reserved futurity champion, multi world champion, pleasure rider. Da, da, da. How can you be nervous at a show like this? And he said, Oh, I'm nervous every time I show. I wouldn't be human if I didn't. I'm yep. like, wow, that's cool. You are putting these people on pedestals, but they're actually just people. Yes. You know what I mean? We all get nervous and we all say, yeah, so that was, a, that was cool. So anyway, enough of my silly stories. <laughs> well, that's actually kind of cool, like, because, you know, when I first met you, I kind of had the same impression, like kind of what you had on, the Todd had on you. And then you kind of get to know the people and you're just like, oh, they're just like us yeah we they're... all take our pants off to go to the toilet <laughs> <laughs> they're just normal people just normal people yeah <laughs> nobody you know we, we just kind of um have a particular talent that's that's all there is to it there's no there's nothing special about anybody yeah we're all special one of the two <laughs> you know what i mean like you can't get too wound up in your own your own deal otherwise you lose perspective yeah that's right yeah, nice. So, what were the horses that you got to show over in Italy? Um, Any anything special? Well, okay. So, I always worked for breeding farms. So, the horses that I rode were horses that had been bred right on site. So, I rode in that first trip to Italy. Um, I rode. I oh know. He's my Alzheimer's kind of getting the bear <laughs> I can't think of their show names and whatever, but um, they were sons of a son, sons and daughters of a son of Joe Cody. Right. That um, Pepper Pride, that's right, which is probably the wrong name, bad name now with Pepper Pig out there. <laughs> Pepper Pride was Lucho's main stud, and I had um, quite a lot of success on a grey horse that we called Grigio, I can't think of what his proper show name was, um, that was a Pepper Pride. 
and um, and that's kind of you know I'd spent a fair bit of time in Pennsylvania. I'd written with other people in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, uh, Kyle Keithley um, was working at Chuck Skinner's place, I think. Skinner's place, sorry. Um, I think it's Chuck. Anyway, the the names are probably you know might not be hundred percent correct of because there's the Stinner brothers. I can't remember which one that he worked for. But um, so R.D. Start was there when I when I was over at his place, and yep. um, R.D. Started was reserve security champion the year before. Um, so I've, I've kind of seen a lot of those Pennsylvanian horses and and um, ridden with Pennsylvanian trainers. So that Joe Cody kind of line was yeah <coughs> was um, I was fairly used to. And um, and yeah, I got him really well with that horse. He was a nice horse. I, it was a little bit tricky with a few things. Um, the trainer that was there before probably didn't get on with him particularly well, but I clicked with him and we had a great time. Yeah. Um, and some of the mares there that that um, that were that breeding. There's also a Taras Catalyst colt that I liked a lot, and then Mucho had a um, a rooster colt that I just loved. I really, really liked that horse. He was like a real cowboy stopper, like just yeah, right. Drilled his butt in the ground, and um, and of course, you know, um, so Lucho took him to maturity. Um, so yeah, so though some really nice horses then. Then when I went back in two thousand and two, um, one of my favourite horses, um was um, by Slide Me to the Bar. Now, not many people got on with Slide Me to the Bars. Now, that's the horse that Todd won the... Todd Summers won the Futurity on. Right. Back in 92 or 93. I can't remember what year it was. But, um, but yeah, I had a couple of a couple of horses by him that I really liked and another one by Brigolina's Classic that Tim had shown in 96. That was... Or not, was it 96? Yeah, 96. Um, that his horse, he was paint. His horses were really cool. Big stoppers, fun horses to ride. Um, so there was a lot of new stuff starting to come into Italy. Mm -hmm. And I think actually in, 90, in 97 when I was at Lucho's, it was probably the first time anyone had brought chilled semen over from the States. Yeah, right. And so if you think about it, like, you know, they had to get that semen collected and shipped to Italy yep. from, I think it came from Texas, to Italy, it had to be there and inseminated within 24 hours. Yeah, right. So it was a bit of a logistical deal to make sure that all happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was well before frozen semen started to kind of get around. Um, so I think to just have, though, Europe's just close enough that, that all that stuff could happen. Yeah. It's cheap to bring horses over because you don't have any quarantine and the flights are fairly cheap. Um, you know, so, and it's not far away. So you, if you're one, an American trainer, you can go home, almost go home for the weekend. If you want to go <laughs> home and visit your family or whatever, you're not, you're not as isolated as I was. Yeah. You know, 24 hour trip to get home. Um, but also uh, what happens in Europe um, is that once their show season's over, all the European trainers pack up and go to the States for a few months. And so you have that kind of, 
easy cross-pollination of information like you know where the trainers are working with american trainers and yeah. then you know american trainers come over to europe and show and like you just got this constant um competition and information transfer that we just don't get here it's like we're in this little isolated pond that, that you know unless someone brings out a trainer for a clinic yeah you really it's really hard to get that kind of level of of competition and information coming over here yeah that's right like we've got great trainers here in australia but just i don't know what it is but when i went over to sean's place just i got to ride some really nice horses just kind of being with sean i don't know it just kind of made me look at things a little bit differently and mm -hmm. i just got a bit more confident in my own program but they've just got a way of explaining certain things and they don't do everything totally different but i think the way that they they train horses seems to be a little bit more simpler well i found that with sean and he was kind of doing stuff on his i think it was about a month before he was going to show up the nrha futurity and got reserve champion on this horse and he was doing stuff that you would do to a two-year-old mm. i was like oh wow yeah i think um Okay, so we we suffer severely from the tyranny of distance. Yeah, um, we suffer severely from um, that in the sense of importing horses um, that we didn't have that. We've okay, we we suffer from a few things <laughs> that um, that I'll kind of get into. But the first thing is tyranny of distance. Like um, it's hard for us to go over there and work over there um, because it's such a long way away. Yeah, um, and then we suffer from you know the, the there's no um it's hard to bring it's changing now with the, with the, with frozen semen but you couldn't bring you ever think about bringing ship semen over like cooled chilled semen um because it wouldn't quarantine and by the time you did quarantine it'd all be dead anyway so like you know they're just having that ability to breed nice horses yep. is only just getting started now with frozen semen um, we also have a lot of sports that are close to this sport, which dilutes the pool of people that can do our, who want to do our sport. So we've, we've got a lot of competition, um, you know, stock horse classes and, you know, we have a, a an Australian cow horse culture that is, um, it's, and don't get me wrong, I think it's really important that we protect it. Um, but I think sometimes we might be a little bit overprotective of it and we won't don't look outside the box enough. Yeah. Um, in, you know, other cow horse cultures. Because, you know, and I don't even mean America, but what about Spanish cow horse culture and South American cow horse culture? Yeah. You know, there's lots of different cow horse cultures that if we looked around we'd we'd glean, you know, different ideas and different techniques from. So um yeah, you just look at Franco Bertoloni, right? So so um I'm in Italy, and this Brazilian guy turns up on a on a um, Criollo at the <laughs> horse shows, and it's like, man, this horse is awesome, you know. Yeah, yeah. And who is this guy? He sounds like he's Italian, but he's not. Where's he from? He's yeah. from Brazil, you know. So there's quite a bit of of um, of culture, horse culture around the world that we tend to be a bit insular from. Whether it's by design or whether it's just mostly because of the tyranny of distance. Um, I don't know, but we, you know, the, the sport in this country really suffers from um, 
quite a lot of competition from other sports that are quite similar um, and a lot of um, difficulty in um, transfer of information and transfer of bloodlines. While you were overseas, like over in Italy and, and the States, and you said you worked for a lot of breeding farms. Yeah. Um, like just having, you know, having the ability to have people that can have those breeding farms, then finding owners for them, that just that alone kind of makes the sport, which is something here in Australia we kind of don't have. Mm. So there's a, there's a group of, of people who, um, who have started up dedicated reigning horse breeding farms um, who employ trainers to train those horses. Um, there's, there is an industry, a, a real industry. I mean, it, it's funded by wealthy people. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not where it's, you could just start out on your own and, and make it work. So there's obviously wealthy people have to make, you know, put this together. Otherwise it's never going to happen. Um, but, you know, you've got some people there who are, who are very wealthy, who are very competitive, um, and who um, you know are going to invest the money and invest the um, intellectual capital in breeding really nice reigning horses. Um, so they bring horses out from the states. They bring mares out. Everything, everything that's in the reigning industry has come from the states at yeah. some point. Um, so, so they got a they got a lot of depth really really quickly. So when I first went to Italy, it was like. Wow, these horses just stop. It's like going to the states; they just stop. You say well, and they stop. You don't have to teach me then; they just do it. Whereas yeah. here, it was like we were spending so much time going through all the cutting breed horses to try and find something that'd stop. Yeah, right. And you know, some of them would, some of them wouldn't. Some would would just they wanted to stop like cutting horses. They did not want to stop like reining horses. Yeah. And so, and a lot of our mares are that, are bred like that. Yeah. You know, so they have a lot of stop, but it's not the right sort of stop. It's not the stop we want. Um, so whereas Europe, they brought out horses that could stop and turn and bred them to horses that could stop and turn, then brought semen out from the States with horses that could stop and turn. So so they really are they they were at the at the forefront of breeding reigning horses. And they yeah. did it they did it in forty years. Yeah, you know? right, okay. And it's just it's interesting to see they're so competitive because of that horsepower, mm. you know, and they've got the those big time breeders and owners that have helped that evolution. Yeah, well, see, they funded the whole industry. They they um, they set up the breeding farms. They funded the trainers. Um, they funded the futurity and the derby. Um, and that made the system work so that those horses got trained and sold on so the horses would go you know just say they'd go as a, an open futurity horse they'd go to futurity and then they if they were not going to be competitive in the derby they get sold to um to non-pros like top level non-pros yeah the top level non-pros would go and compete them for a few years in the derby years yeah um and then they get um sold to a you know intermediate non-pro They'd compete them for a few years, then they get sold to a to a rookie, and so the the rookie horses were were all ex open horses. Like they'd all run and stop, they'd all turn around. You know, they had might have had a few little issues with getting around the 
around the class because <laughs> they'd been showed for a long time, but they all had super, super talented horses and they were reasonably cheap. Yeah. Um, and see, our industry hasn't worked like that. We haven't had a group of people that were going to chuck a lot of money at getting the industry going. Um, so we don't have that um, group of people who would fund getting horses trained just so they could you know, so they so they could say they won the futurity. Yeah, that's generally. true. Because that's you know, you look at at, at um, who Martin used to work for, who Don Boyd worked for, uh, Mario Better. I mean, he's he he just wanted to win the futurity, and he was quite happy to spend a fair bit of money to win the futurity. Yeah, right. Okay. You know what I mean, if a horse wasn't working out, they'd sell it on and get another one that was working out. Right. You know, so so they that's a different mentality. Yes. Yeah, so they've just got a lot more depth, and they got that depth in there pretty early. Yes, because there was a a group of people, not just one or two, but there was like you know twenty yep. people who had deep pockets who um who were very competitive with each other, <laughs> and and, um, and drove an industry forward. It's, it's <laughs> amazing to actually watch it all unfold and be there um, fairly early on in the process. Yeah. And, and, you know, be able to talk to, like when I first went to Lucio's, the first the first non-Italian speaking person I met was Craig Black. Right, okay. And he was there. He was there. Lucio got him out to make sure that I was all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you know, and that's the first, that's the first guy that sold horses to, to, to Italy. Yeah, right, okay. So, you know, it all, was all fairly recent stuff when I went there. So, um so now you know some of these people, why don't you bring them over to Australia and we can give them a home and then they can bring some of their horses over here and bring mm. some of their money as well. Yes. <laughs> Where do I start with that? <laughs> There's some wishful Let's thinking. Ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> so what things did you notice that were kind of different, I suppose even now, um, with the trainers and the non-pros and the breeders is there a big difference between what they kind of do over in Europe and the States to what we kind of do over here? Um, all right. So besides the kind of the sheer size of it, they're obviously yeah. a lot bigger, but yeah, what I reckon, and this might be a bit contentious depending on who's listening to it, but um, I think that because the horses here aren't as talented um, and don't have that really deep inbred, you know, ability to do things. Yep. The, the trainers here have to be much more flexible and and, and um, have to create a lot more stuff. Um, so that, you know, what I see is that, especially the young trainers from Europe coming to the States, if they get a horse that's a little bit tricky, they have absolutely no idea what to do with it because they haven't had to. They haven't had to to work with some horse that, you know, Joe Bloggs bred and thinks it's the best thing in the world and, you know, wants it to be the, you know, win the futurity and, yep. and you know, it's got no raining blood in it whatsoever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have to kind of figure out how to make that work. So yep. it made your, um, your horsemanship better yep. um, and made you kind of figure out how to get stuff done with horses that weren't necessarily inherent yes um and so i think that um 
you know, we've got some great horse people here, um, some really talented riders, and I think with the with better with horses that are bred better that that want to do the job, that um, we should see the quality really kind of step up. Yeah, well, it already has over the last couple of years, and yeah. the breeding, like I've noticed, little Joe Cash, everyone's breeding to him at the moment, and it's just going to be horses that are just going to be. Not necessarily. Some of them will be a lot easier, but just basically bred for the job, and they want to do their job. Mm. Well, you you know you you look back, and um, Ian Waldron was the first one to actually bring a reigning horse out with yes. with Melody, um, and well, and he brought out the um, done it down under as well. Yep, um, and they were the first to reigning bred horses to actually come to the country. So before that, there was, there was nothing. It was all, you know, the closest thing you got to a reigning bred horse was a King Fritz horse. Um, that, um, you know, something that Greg Lauer had brought out in the 60s. Yeah. Um, that, um, you know, everything else was pretty much cutting bred. Yeah. You know? okay. And we were lucky there were a couple of cutting bred, like cutting studs that kind of threw horses that, um, could stop a little bit like Kings Philip, like they, their Kings Philip horses could stop, um, but there wasn't many of them. So, um, so with with what's happening now, we still got to overcome that mare line that the mare that the mares aren't necessarily reigning bred mares. So it's going to take us a little while to kind of step up. Yeah, because we're going to we're going to have to improve our mare line by breeding rather than just by importing top quality mares. So anyone who's, who has the wherewithal to bring out a top quality mare, yep. I implore you to do it because it will get us moving ahead faster. <laughs> well, Tony Mitchell's already got some imported mares and yep. they're producing some fantastic stock. That Revolution Ready, who you had some pretty good success on and mm-hmm. now she's producing some amazing babies. Um, who Shane Sainsbury won the non-pro and I think got reserve yeah. last year at the Futurity. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's also got Rough Little Renee and bringing some babies out of her from other imported studs. So yes, that's yeah. kind of pretty exciting. We just need more mares. Yeah, that's right. We need more people, you know, to do what Tony's doing, um, to, to bring out mares from the States um, to, to up our mare line. And, um, and then those people need to be supported too. Because they're taking a big risk. The amount of money it takes to bring a mare out. Yeah. Um, you know, if you bring a stud out, okay, before frozen semen, if you bought a stud out from the States, you, you could pretty much make your money back because, you know, you breed 50, 100 mares a year. You can yep. make a little bit of money. But a mare is a different prospect because, you know, even with embryos, you, you, you're not able to breed 100 babies a year unless you you know i don't know what you do super ovulate or something um so you've you're you're not going to be able to recoup money um you know recoup that investment um if quickly if at all you know what i mean like you know if that man struggles to breed for whatever reason then you've you've done your day so we need people that will make that investment to drive us forward yeah that's right and i suppose like when I, I spent, I think, a week with Martin and we were looking at two-year-olds that were $100,000. Mm. Kind of going, oh, but a fully trained horse at home is only worth 
25,000. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense considering all the work that goes into a reigning horse and how broke they get. Mm. You're kind of going, okay, well, it's only worth that. But then a two-year-old that's probably had 60 to 90 days is worth close to 100,000 over in the States. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's economies of scale because um, you've got to remember too that that it's not just America that's America's not just selling horses to Americans they're selling horses to the world so um so there's quite a big market yes um so you know you're able to 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 do that with scale um we're definitely stuck with too small a scale to be sustainable yeah um nothing's really driving it except for the hobbyists yeah um you know, and uh, luckily we've got hobbyists. Otherwise, we wouldn't have an industry at all. But we need we need a um, we need more. We need more to drive this forward um, than just hobbyists. Sorry, guys, but we do. <laughs> so, with your time in the reining, and because you've kind of seen a lot of the history, how's the evolution of the reining um, changed or just evolutionised? In Australia. Is that a word, Matthew? Did you just make that up? Yep. It's going in the dictionary. <laughs> Evolutionised. Okay. Right. Go on, sorry. I've lost track. Sorry, again, because I can't remember what you said there. So the reigning Australia, sorry, the reigning in Australia. Yeah. How have you seen the evolution change since the start? Well, it's been, it, it's actually changed quite a lot. Um, we don't, you don't necessarily see it. Um, because we're in the moment. Yeah. But when you look back, you, you know, I look every now and again, I'll have. Because you were involved kind of when the reigning went to start within Australia, didn't you? And yeah, so be, NRHA in that. Yeah. So before, before reigning Australia started, sorry about background noise, guys. Um, before reigning Australia started, um, really reigning was just held at, at Western club shows or quarter horse shows last event on the program and generally it'd get cancelled because the um the trail would overrun so there'd be no time have to cancel the raining and everyone got a little bit annoyed because they were training raining horses and the quite often you'd go to the horse show and then not get to show so that's why um raining australia actually got started to try and you know get us proper raining shows so to go from that to where we are now is that it's a um, we've actually made quite a big jump when you really think about it with you know, under very difficult circumstances. Um, we haven't had um, wealth, like a lot of money coming in to drive it forward. We've been um, very, very distant from the rest of the running world and we've also got competing sports. So when you think about it, we've actually done all right, really. Um, <clears throat> So when I when I have when the whim takes me and it doesn't take me very often because I really can't stand watching the early tapes, <laughs> but I watch some of my, the early runs like you know that, that um, ninety three run on on Blackie, and even the ninety six run on GG, and I look at it and go, well, you know, the rookies are doing better than that now, but that was cutting edge back then. Yes, you know that was driving out. Wow, that's amazing. We're only five years behind the Americans. Da, 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 da. Um, and but when you look back at it now with the, with the eyes of today, you go, oh, geez, you know. <laughs> terrible. I don't show too many people that. <laughs> um, so 
So you've got to keep things in perspective. We have moved um, quite a way. We've, we've moved ahead quite a ways. We have some really passionate people involved who, um, who are investing money um, in the sport and driving it forward. We've got frozen semen available now. We're getting uh, better quality horses bred. Um, but because of the tyranny of distance, we are going to, it's always going to take us longer to get there. Um, you know, it's going to take us long to breed our way out of where we are, to breed, a set, breed our way up to somewhere, somewhere comparable with the rest of the world. And then the rest of the world will have moved on. So we'll be always just that kind of step behind, mostly because of that distance um, and separation from everybody else. So you're involved with the New South Wales Reining Horse Club mm-hmm. um, and you've been president of that multiple times. Yes, and vice president and committee member, and I'm a glutton for punishment <laughs> for, for doing stuff for nothing for, for everybody else. I've been doing it with Raining Australia too, from this, pretty much just after its inception. I was um, a board member in 91, um, I was elected president in 92 to 93, vice president 93, 94, 95, 96. Um, Martin was president. I'm going to talk about Martin too at some point. Yep. don't forget that um and um and that was in its formative years like that's when we kind of we really started to 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 move somewhere in those early years you know that 90 91 to to um to 2000 sort of era yep um things started to to kind of coalesce coalesce is that a word I don't know. I just made one up, so you can yeah, make I one can up make too. One up. Check my Rob Lawson dictionary and you'll find <laughs> out what that means. To to start to kind of come together and and gel into a sport. Yep. So yeah. Was that the time when the the Olympic demonstration happened? Yeah, well, that was that was towards the end of that. So um, of that period, we moved into a, a, the next period. Um, so that was, um, you know, that that period we we moved. We, the first two futurities were at Whittlesea at Lookies Arena, um, which was an all right arena. It was a good arena, but um, but it had no crowd facilities and yeah. it was just a, just a roof. Then we went to Dubbo and showed at the um, at Dubbo Showground uh, there in a, in a um, and they had a, a they're, they're still there the big building beside the railway line um, and they, there was a surface that had been put in there on top of the concrete floor and. And so we showed there. So that was the third year, and then we went to Tamworth in the old arena at Tamworth, and and that was all right. But seriously, there's probably forty people watching. Right. It just it, you know, we needed to go somewhere where we could put on a horse show, and so we decided we take it to Horseworld because Horseworld um, was it was built as a show jumping arena, and um, I can't think of the guy's name now, but there was a guy that um, had a quarter stud. Um, just near Horsewell, who um, decided to put on um, a Western Spectacular show. And the three amigos got <laughs> asked to go and perform in it. And and I saw it and went, man, that, like, this surface isn't too bad. We could do something with it. And, of course, we knew nothing about surfaces at that point. So, you know, when we did go there, we kind of stuffed it up a little bit, but we got by. Um, and... Um, and it was a venue, it was like a, a, a stadium, a Coliseum sort of deal. So it's the first time we actually showed in something like that. 
Um, look, there was a fair bit of resistance for us going there and the facilities around the arena weren't fantastic and that was a bugbear all the way through us using that venue. But yeah. that, we went from having, you know, 50, 60 people in the stands to 1,500 people in the stands all cheering and clapping and, um, you know, spotlights on the winners and all that sort of stuff. We turned it into a into a um, an event. Yeah, well. So... So it was, it was a really fun time to be involved and to see all that stuff kind of unfold. Yeah, we need that time to come back now because we've got better horses. Um, and just, just if we can get those people back in the industry, which I think is slowly growing, it's going to be awesome for our sport. Yeah, look, our sport has had quite a bit of growth um, over the last period. You know, we've had some of the biggest state shows and national shows we've ever had you know, in, in the last five years. Yeah. Um, so the, the sport's growing. The sport has been growing grassroots, um, you know, a good steady growth. Um, the upper level hasn't. The upper level's kind of, in my from my point of view, it's stalled quite a bit. Um, and I'd like to see that get going again because it, it, it is a driver of what, of, of horses being trained. Yeah. Um, but... You know, um, look, I think I think if we just have a slightly different approach to what we've been doing, um, we'll start that up again. Yeah, okay. Yeah, nice. This brings me to my next point, which is something I feel is very exciting within the reigning world um, and could potentially give us more access to outside influences instead of kind of just in our own backyard um let's have a chat about the oceana oceania council the oceania yes. council so this is a new initiative that nrha have well they've been talking about it for a while now um i think 2011 they actually started talking about it and getting it starting to get it organized um in 2016 they they um actually started instigating it um so the council is is to be this region, um, the reigning the reigning associations in this region all getting together to, to coordinate and and um, uh, and drive the industry. So, yep. you know, NRHA's um, asked reigning asked reigning in Australia to be the driver of the Oceania Council. Um, so to start off with, it's just Australian reigning clubs that are involved to um, to get together and decide how we're going to structure the industry and move forward um, for NRHA reinings in this this region. So how many clubs are involved on the the Oceania Council? Um, so right now, I think there's fourteen clubs. Yep that are involved um, and everybody has an equal say in how we want to proceed. Yep. So so it's a really democratic um, way of moving forward. I think we decided that at this point, maybe later on we might change how all that happens so that the you know that that there's some differentiation between the clubs that have a lot of members and, and the clubs that don't. But at, this formation point, we decided that we thought everybody should have the same say um, in moving, getting this thing started and moving it forward. So 
Um, yeah, pretty much the decisions that are made by the council are decisions that are made by every reigning club in this country. Yep, and the clubs and the clubs are driven by their members. So then, if the members aren't happy with who's representing them on the Oceania Council, that can be changed. Yeah, yeah, the, the, it has to come from the clubs. So the clubs, the clubs need to decide who their representative is going to be, um, and it's up to each club to figure out how they're going to do that. So whether they do that through an AGM or they do that through you know some other elective process. Um, it's up to the clubs to figure that one out. Um, but the club members are the ones who are driving each each club's representative. So the, the club members need to talk to their club representative and, and let, give them feedback about what they want to have happen and where they see the future of, of um, reigning. And then that um, delegate needs to come to the council and put forward their club's point of view. And then the same in reverse. So when decisions are made by the council, that... Um, delegate goes back to their club members and, and disseminates the information. Yep. So, yeah, nice. And it's also a direct link between a club member and NRHA. Yep. Um, because each club has direct contact with NRHA. Yep. So with the Oceana Council, what's in a way the purpose of it? Um. So the, the purpose, I guess, is to um, coordinate the industry in the region. Um, now, there's growing... The, the Asia-Pacific, oh, I don't know, you, you, the, the, the regional term is hard one to kind of... Because you've got, you know, Southeast Asia, you've got China even, you've got that whole kind of um, Asia, Australasian, Oceania... Asia Pacific regional <laughs> in this, so Oceania is probably the closest fit as as far as a name for it. Um, there is growth. There's stuff happening in countries that you wouldn't expect to have raining happening. So Thailand, Japan, um, the Philippines, um, even China has. Um, there's been some work done in building raining industry in China. Oh wow! So there's things happening in our region, and NRHA are really keen to kind of, you know, start to get some coordination and some organisation into that. Um, and because raining in Australia is is has been going for quite a while, and we've had a really integral relationship with um, NRHA from the very, very beginning of raining Australia because. NRHA was almost in was involved in the formation of Raining Australia or NRHA at that point, um, and has been quite um, involved in how we um, was how we kind of moved forward and how we got information and we always looked to NRHA for for information for how we're going to do new things or um, so there's been a lot of um, a lot of conversation between NRHA and what was um, well, what is now Raining Australia. Yep. Um, and um, so so we've had contact with that, with the whole world through that. Now, in 2006, 2007, um, NRHA wanted to reach out and start to coordinate the world of raining. And we were involved in that. So um, from that time on, we've had we've run NRHA ratings here in Australia, and we've had an NRHA judge, judging judge training, 
um, NRHA has taken quite a role in in um, kind of you know looking at the quality and the and the um, um, the uniformity can I say of the rainy industry worldwide. Yep. Um, and it has been a great benefit to to this country because it's put us in contact, like quite a lot closer contact with the rest of the rainy world than we we would have before. Um, and um, you know, like it's been it's it's been fantastic. Um, and I've seen so much growth happen since that that decision to integrate with NRHA in two thousand and six. Um, not just from NRHA, but also from the the idea of WEG, um, WEG competition, um, and also um, events like Equitana, who have who have showcased the sport to a wider audience. Um, the, it's really kind of brought out a lot of youth kids. Like when when up until probably two thousand and ten. The only youth kids that have ever been involved in the sport were children of existing members who had to come to the horse show because that's where their parents were. <laughs> and they got chucked on the, on the parent's horse and off they went and that was our youth. And then probably since 2010, we've had a growth in youth, um, which has been quite staggering considering where it came from. Um, of kids that just want to do the sport. Their parents don't even ride. Yep. And their parents have gone and bought horses for the kids. The kids are, are dragging their parents along to the horse shows, you know, like a, a complete swap in what in how that's all happened. And, yep. and for me, that's happened because of NRHA, uh, because of us getting involved with NRHA and because of WEG and because of Equitana and those sorts of events and, and, um, and publicity like Stacey Westfall and stuff like that, that kind of world the world of raining coming us having contact with it us being like you know closer to it because of the internet because of the because of that constant dialogue between us and the rest of the raining world i think it's so important that we continue that and we keep pushing it and and get more and more integrated into the raining world so what other countries those countries that you mentioned before are they the only ones that are going to be involved in the Oceania Oceania council um, was it Japan? Um, so Japan, Thailand, and probably New Zealand would be the first countries to start coming in. Yep. Uh, once we get this set up and settled and running properly. Yep. Um, and then um, th then it's kind of almost up to us to go nurture stuff. Yep. So this is one of the things that I'm really excited about um, is that if NRHA is kind of... All right, so I've been talking about this yonks so to our overseas uh, listeners if we've got any yonks means forever <laughs> um so i've been talking about i've been talking about what's actually starting to happen now since um 92 um and that that we could reach out to asia we could um you know we could um expand our industry by by doing that and NRHA has given us a vehicle like just they've handed us this vehicle to go do that and they're going to help us do it to um to increase the industry here to um you know in increase the involvement of of 
our industry in our region. Like, like such an amazing opportunity. I'm so excited about the possibilities that will come out of this. Yeah, well, just just having access, opening up our doors, and kind of just having access to the overseas countries. You know, like Japan, New Zealand. Like we are, we're talking to New Zealand all the time, and we've got breeders and owners in New Zealand and stuff like that. But just getting it all involved and being closer together with those other countries, you will be able to become kind of like Europe and have, you know, better horses, breeders from different countries that want to send horses over here and, mm. you know, different owners and... Well, when you think about it, um, you know, land's still cheap here and breeding horses is fairly cheap to do here. Yeah. Um, and in Asia, you would imagine that it's not quite so easy to do that, especially Japan, where you've got multi-storey breeding, you know, the, the thoroughbred deals all like multi-storey barns and all sorts of stuff because they don't have the space to be doing um, to be, be doing that sort of deal in in a natural sort of way anyway. And um, Thailand would be similar. Um, China, I've, I've never been to China, but I would imagine that, um, you know, that land is at a fair premium for food production and whatnot. So um, there could be quite a possibility that um, a lot of breeding farms get based here um, that, you know, breed reigning horses for the, the, um, the Asian market. That's right. And, and that, um, those horses will need to be trained. And like, you know, if we, if we work this correctly and if we embrace it and, um, embrace the opportunities that this is going to bring forward, like, well, who knows what we could do with it. That's right. And we've got some amazing trainers like all over Australia, Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales, WA, South Australia, Tasmania. So to have... Don't miss out Northern Territory. And the Northern Territory. <laughs> to have, hopefully, be able to give those trainers more access to better horses and kind of just make our sports skyrocket well, a little bit. More access to customers. Yes. Um, more access to non-pros to coach. Like... Like um, there, there's um, an amazing amount of possibilities that could come from this, and if we embrace it and 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 take it somewhere, so yeah, super excited. And just the uh, what this has also done, it's given us a bit of a break to stand back and look at how we how we run things like our national finals. You know, we've been stuck in that club mentality that you kind of the club a club has to run a show. Um, why the rest of the world doesn't work like that you know even back in 97 in Italy the, the shows weren't run by the Italian or the Italian Reigning Horse Association which was called the Associazione Nazionale Cavallo Reigning <laughs> <laughs> previous to that um, they were run by a private a private events company that would go and set everything up and run it and and, um, and you know source all the all the um, the sponsorship and that's how they that's how they um, ran it. So the club didn't have to fork out all that and raise it through the members. So, oh wow, um, you know this this what we're starting to look at now is not a new concept. <laughs> it's not, you know, the rest of the world's been doing this for quite a while. It's just new to us that yep. we haven't looked at doing it this way before. Um, so I'm really excited about that too. That we we. Because I again I talked about this um, in, back in ninety two as well, ninety one ninety two that 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 really we're putting on a uh, on a 
on an event rather than just a horse show. Yep. You know, and to make and to sell this sport, we have to put on an event. We can't, it can't just be a boring old horse show. Um, you know, boring old horse shows are fine for the competitors, but not for not for spectators. And if we're going to keep getting new people come into the sport and people who have money who want to invest in this sport and who are keen to to bet. You know, bet my futurity horse beats your futurity horse, and I'll, and if it doesn't, I'll go buy another one and we'll do it again. Yeah, let's keep doing it till I win the bloody futurity. So I want to win the futurity. It, the futurity has to be an event, or the derby has to be an event. That that um, it needs to be a spectacle. It needs to be where people can't wait to come next year and watch it again. Yep. Um, and so we're really good at running horse shows, but we're not very good at running events. We almost need. Just by hearing you say that, we almost need Equitana to run the state shows for all the clubs. <laughs> That'd be good. Imagine I'd that. Just really love to pawn off the state show with somebody <laughs> else, um, because you know when it comes down to it, look at look look at the people who end up running this, like the state show or the national show. It's all the competitors, and we're all trying to get horses ready to show, and we you know we're surviving on no sleep at all, and we're trying to run a horse show. Um, it's amazing we actually get done what we get done because we can run a bloody good horse show. I'm not never ever say that we don't run good horse shows because yeah. we can run a good horse show, but we just fall over when it comes to selling it. You know, and and I know you guys are going to hate me for this, but open pen before a major event is one of the dumbest things we could possibly do. We have dressage people sitting up in those stands. We have people who just, you know, want to get involved in horses. We have people who, um, you know, might be animal rights people sitting up there and they're watching everybody bash around and, like, train on their horses right before the event. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had people who I know in the dressage industry uh, come and say, I can't wait and watch your horse show there the other weekend and, you know, uh, that open pen, I saw some pretty dodgy stuff. I don't know that I want to get involved in that sport. Uh, that is not a way to sell a sport. Sorry, guys, but it ain't. Sorry, Matt. Now you're you stumped for words. <laughs> what do I do now? He's just been so contentious. I'm going to get phone calls. People are going to hate this. Sorry. Sorry. No, it's all good. <laughs> this podcast isn't... It's for everyone, so... Yes, and they're my views, by the way, so this has got nothing to do with Matt's views. So. <laughs> yeah, so, um, well, yeah, that's kind of the last thing that we need. We need to get this sport bigger and better, and the, the Oceana, I feel like it's just going to give everyone another avenue and everyone and just kind of open up the sport more to just being in their own backyard. Yeah, it, it's, it's us reaching out. We've been given an opportunity to reach out, which is fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, we, we're at a junk a junk juncture, a junction, <laughs> we're at a crossroads. We're you know, we we um we have some possibilities ahead of us that are pretty exciting and, and to embrace that would be you know would be a great thing and I'd love to see us really jump the sport ahead. Well, especially with uh, 2020 being so COVID affected, it's mm. kind of giving you a bit more excitement to what's going to happen. Possibly next year is going to be the big one of the big events for that. Yeah, I really hope that you know the whole pand- pandemic thing settles down a bit because um, I'm 
I think that this, what's coming up next year will be really um, a fantastic start to where we're headed with, um, with the council um, and where we're headed with Rainey in general. And, um, you know, if we're still getting locked down and whatnot into next year, the whole sport's going to struggle for, for longer. Yeah. Well, that means everybody's going to be struggling for longer, so I can't get too upset about it. But, um, you know, it, it'd be it'd be fantastic if we can get this to kind of really function next year. Um, you know, I'm just kind of thinking ahead to where we're going to source judges from for, you know, for next year and all that sort of deal because um, if travel from overseas is still going to be restricted, we're going to be in, uh, you know, there's going to be some difficulties. So we're going to have to work around how we're going to do that. Yeah. But other than that... There's definitely some exciting times coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Rob, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you. Is that it? I've only just started, Matt. <laughs> I'm sure we can do parts four and five <laughs> later on. No, 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 no. I'll, be, I'll be up for it. I'm sure there'll be more rainy weather where we can just sit in the lounge room and just look <laughs> at the green grass. R-A-I-N rather than... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, well, Matt. That was cool. Take care, and I'm sure I'll see you at the next horse show. No problem, mate. See you then. <laughs>